this is another episode of Carpets and Coffee. Um, Eric, I believe, has been tied up at work and or murdered yeah. at uh, over something over in uh, ShopRite. You, to sit there and, you know, Eric's busiest times of time, I guess, at his job would be around major holidays. Like, no, nah, he might be hog tied in a corner. I mean, dear with God, a, he, I with mean, a. He, Rolling they may to- be held up in some sort of walk-in <laughs> freezer trying to beat back a little old lady that really wants to make sure she gets all the sugar cookies before it's Where's let out. I mean, the chestnuts? Exactly. <laughs> oh, wait, Philly. Where's the chestnuts? Hey. No, no, incorrect. What? What was the A at the... What was, the, what was that? Forget about it, it no, Philly. No, stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. First off, where's the cheese whiz? That's the that's the, you know the where's the whiz? Yeah, that's what you got to do. So I remember when I was in Philly, and I was somewhere near Eric's work. I had a really good sandwich, and I shared that fact with the chat. And Matt Mendatolo was like, "You don't go to Philly for a Reuben." I was like, Reuben. "But it was good." What the, what the- fuck did you eat here like the hell is that i have i have like a sensitive half chinese stomach i can't go eat a cheese steak without lactate i mean first off is cheese whiz actually cheese i'm pretty sure it's more plastic it's probably like soybean oil i mean it's not (laughs) it's not healthy i mean also rubens have cheese so i'm disqualified exactly i don't know what you're going like you just yeah. I would like a cheese this Reuben, please. And then the man slapped you across the face. So, yeah. It was good. I don't know. I'm, I'm you. glad you had a wonderful Reuben in the city of Philadelphia <laughs> that we are known hey. for Reuben. Stop. Stop. <laughs> anyway, um, this is a Carpets and Coffee episode that Lucas and I are going to do uh, because we're going to do this in place of the annual breeding episode. Uh, because tomorrow... We're actually going to be doing the uh, holiday show. So tomorrow, the poll will be up. We will have the airing of grievances. And I have a lot of problems with you people. And now you're going to hear all about it. So that'll be tomorrow. So if you're not doing anything, check in on that. Uh, Hopefully, it will be live. I'm a little mad that Eric's doing it on a Tuesday. So yeah, I, um, I can't actually, I can't do it. I can't come. <laughs> so, I, I have to, I have I'm to, so sad. I have to remain sober. What bullshit is this? So, yeah, so first um, one I won't make in the last couple of years. You'll probably so. be a little bit more reserved than some of the other years. Like I won't be doing drinking an entire bottle of whiskey. Um, so you're already having some nice Modelo, okay? With so much lime, like three whole limes. <laughs> it's, it's more <laughs> lime than alcohol. <laughs> you have to chew it. I um, like, love limes but we wanted to do the uh breeding episode and we wanted to make sure it was an episode where we had you guys here to potentially ask questions How, god damn it lisa <laughs> we have our first question god damn it lisa <laughs> like it was such a broad question too like how breed them well how breed? Um, <laughs> we'll get to uh, that we'll get to that but first we'll get there we'll get there yeah uh coffee <laughs> why did you change the name never mind all right um so what? coffee coffee so coffee. Uh, i have been drinking coffee every morning just like last time um <laughs> <laughs> i was traveling over the okay. weekend i was in southern california i was down 
in a, a, a agricultural city called Camarillo. Okay. And I had some delicious coffee there. I couldn't tell you what it was, <laughs> but it was good. Now that I'm home, making more coffee with Pete's beans because I got a butt ton of it at Costco. <laughs> okay. Okay. So for the next six months, Pete's. <laughs> okay. I, um, I've been trying to, um, I've been actually on the, on a, on a hot coffee kick of late. Uh, but today I decided to, um, have, uh, I have these, uh, cappuccino stuff that you can make. So I did some cappuccino this morning as my coffee, which was nice. It was a nice little, you know, uh, break away from my normal cold brew and stuff like that. So, mm. um, that sounds it was nice. cool, but I, no, I'm getting, I ordered, and I, I ordered this big cold brewer for my fridge downstairs and Amazon sent me my money back. So I reordered it and I've just been waiting because this thing is like a gallon and I can mix it all <laughs> up. And, and, and like when I come down in the morning to do my AM checks, I'll just fill up my coffee down there and, you know, I'll be all set and ready to go. So I've been chomping at the bit for that thing to show up. That's um, epic. I know I want it. So what I be... really wish I had both on the road and at home that was the, a delicious uh, cup of carpets and coffee coffee that you can get from uh cold blooded caffeine. Make sure you put in MPR at the uh, code at the end to get 10% off. And they yum, have a yum, bunch yum. of new flavors. I really want to go to one of the big NARBC shows where they set up and be like, mm. I will flavor this one. Now. <laughs> like I just want to move slowly down their table. I would like it all. to petition for chocolate covered CNC beans. No. Yes. No. Yes. No, that was straight to the bloodstream. That, that was bad, man. That was because Eric mean? got no Eric got me on those. He's like, you need these dark chocolate covered espresso that's, beans. And I that's did what it. I want. And I'm pretty sure I saw Call them colors. spot cleaning. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was the fastest I've ever cleaned my snake room. So if it looks like rabbit turds, it's good for the soul. It is. Must be. Anyway. Um, anyway. So that is the coffee aspect of it. Now, as far as what we've seen online or what Eric clicks this all like, you know, on have we seen a wild carpet? I haven't seen any wild carpet. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Did see any not? online. Did not happen. Uh, oh, they're gone. I didn't do um, my homework. I didn't look. No, you didn't. No, uh, I did see. I'll shout out. Uh, one of my former uh, uh, grad school classmates in the Loafman lab, Zach. Okay. Or not Zach. That's Loafman. No, Alex uh, yeah. Schmacht was doing some, <laughs> uh, some herping in Africa. And he posted a really crazy picture of a rock monitor that I thought was very cool. So shout out to Alec for being... Hey. In Africa and finding reptiles, and you 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 skirted around because, like I said, I did not see any wild carpets. But Zach Baez tagged me in a video that he took when he was herping in Madagascar. Of can you guess a Madagascar giant hog nose? Ooh. That this thing was digging up eggs and eating them in front of Zach, and he took a video of it. Wow! And that is insane. That was great. Like uh, watching that thing use its nose. To just rifle around the sand. It was awesome to see. That's freaking. Cool. Oh, it was great. If you can find that video, it's I think I'm tagged in it, but um 
Uh, if you go, Zach Baez usually has it has it on his, and I think it's making the rounds on all the, um, you know, hognose groups and stuff. It's a really cool video, um, and it makes me almost like want to bury some of their shit to see if they can go look for it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Let me see yeah, if so I can work some magic here. Trying to show the picture. Yes, indeed. But uh, pretty cool. Ooh, yeah. Zach Piaz, I, I see a cobra and a jaguar. No, not that, no. <laughs> it was, not one of those. The Madagascar hognose. See, no, close. Pretty yeah. neat. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's see. Share. Sharing. Present. Oh, it's no. It's not going. No, not working. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Sorry, but. Sounds but neat. It does. <laughs> Sounds cool. Anyway, let's yes. jump into it. This is the breeding season episode um, where we now tell you again how to breed or how we would go about breeding Morelia as well as uh, at this point. Anything. <laughs> whatever the fuck I have downstairs. I can't keep track. And we'll also answer any breeding questions that you guys have. So if you are here and you are watching live or listening live yeah. or participating live or have a pulse and are within my shouting distance and have a question, drop it in the chat. Lucas and I will try to see if we can get to as many as we can and try to yeah. answer as much of your questions. And a lot of it you guys need to understand is Lucas and I have never claimed to be expert reptile breeders. I was just going to say, I mean, the I, fact that I'm here and not Eric Burke is right, pretty exactly. disgusting. Well, I mean, but and also, if you want to ask somebody that's done <laughs> less than you some questions, fire away. But it, it's our best chance. And I feel like a lot of these things that a lot of these questions almost need like the hive mind to kind of piece it apart. And I will tell you that um, most of my success has been heaving jello at the wall and all of a sudden something <laughs> sticks and I'm just about as shocked as everybody else. So, right. Well, and I, I think just the, the overarching kind of ethos of the whole thing is that there is not one way to do it. Like you guys have said time and time again, it's yeah, not making yeah. a cake. Um, you know, Nick and Ryan, do their cool or their feed cycle completely diametrically opposed. One doesn't feed <laughs> in the winter. Different. One doesn't yep. feed in the summer and they're like your top two guys. So, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, it really is kind of just a conversation, not instructions. That, and, and I think that that's what it has to be. I mean, uh, I think at this point I have now bred 19 different species of reptile. Dang. Yeah. How's that feel to say? I want to add some more. <laughs> are you counting uh, like the mangrove monitors and stuff too? Yes. Yes. Mangroves so. are in here. Yep. Yep. They're the last ones. They're like, they're like, and mangrove monitors. <laughs> like it's at the bottom. It's like <laughs> right in there. Um, <laughs> Let's not leave any details you have for rough scale. Pythons out says Joshua. Yeah. Uh, the roughies, to be honest, were the easiest ones out of <clears throat> anything else that, that, they're very much on a carpet level. So obviously we've talked in length about what some of the triggers are for carpet pythons to breed is feed cycling, also cycling down at night to a lower temperature. And usually in some carpet pythons, getting them close to 70 degrees is really all it needs. So um, that's just kind of how that goes. So right. 
with other Morelia, you may have to go a little bit further down into the lower 70s, maybe even high 60s with a hot spot during the day is what I would recommend. Ruffies are no different. Um, it was maybe a little bit into the 70s and then a hot spot during the day. Um, cut off their food the same time I would do carpet pythons and then gave them food again in the springtime. And there was no problem. Um, the one pair was really obvious about the breeding. I caught them locking multiple times. The other pair was more secretive. And that was the the the, the later clutch. Is and it was one of those where I hadn't seen her for maybe a couple days, which ruffies are very secretive, anyways. But when I'm thawing out food, usually I have large ruffy heads, you know, staring at me. Nice. Um, so I would, uh, I didn't see her, so then I checked the bin and she was coiled up with a bunch of eggs. So <laughs> that is kind of how that went. Um, the weird thing is that their season was so spread out. Mm-hmm. So my first clutch of ruffies was were hatched and feeding before the second one hit the ground. So right. it's kind of yeah. Well, you hear people talk kind of about that that cycle and the year to year synchronicities with it, you right. know, for each individual animal. Um it seems like even the same uh, different individuals of the same species can be on different cycle timings, mm-hmm. even if you're doing the same thing and they're going to be close to themselves, if not, you know, the same day as themselves year right. after year after year. Um, so, you know, some people say in terms of when that clutch is actually going to drop um, that train, that train may have left the station, if you will, uh, regardless of what you do. Um, so it, it is interesting. Uh, I definitely noticed that with, um, my Aspidites stuff, mm-hmm. you know, last year I had Wilma's ovulating in late November, early December. Um, but it was like two or three months of staggering, right. um, right. depending on which ones we're talking about. And I'm noticing for the repeat pairings this year, they're going in the same order. They should. Again. So, mm-hmm. The weird thing is, like, so one roughy pair one egg, lays the eggs at April 30th. The other roughy laid its eggs in July. So that's a long stretch, in my opinion, especially when you're thinking about, all right, April is right around the time where winter breeders are laying. But then July, August, that's spring breeder territory. So it's mm-hmm. like having that, but. I feel like if we kind of try to put it in a box of like, they could not possibly lay these eggs at these times is you're going to miss it. Or you're going to do what I used to do. And you're going to pull the mail too early. and You're going to miss it. Like you're going to miss the ovulation. You're going to miss the whole thing. Um, But as far as ambient temperatures, and I think somebody was asking about that. This is the room where the roughies live in. This is my office and it can be anywhere depending on what goes on. I don't heat this room. But they have hot spots. They have um, heat panels and things like that. Uh, the babies are at a constant 86. The adults have hot spots that go into 87, 86. But then at nighttime, we'll drop down to about 75. And that's a year-round drop. But this room does not normally get to 75 degrees, especially in, like, 
August or in the summer months because it's you know it's hot. So mm-hmm. you'll start seeing that drop kind of happening now because it is actually a little chilly. I'm getting a little bit of a um, – <laughs> I have to make sure this window is closed all the way because I'm getting a little <laughs> cold from there. But Do you guys have nothing, snow yet? Not we had snow, but it melted. Like uh, we've had a couple squalls, but right. nothing crazy. This today was a windy craziness. So yeah, I'm kind of hoping that, day. Right. So this was um we're gonna start dropping temps as of Christmas. So I already set up all the computer systems, which I would say your first step for breeding season is obviously figure out your animals that you're going to breed. But then the second would be go around and make sure that all your computer systems have the correct time and they have everything else going on. Because I would say that I checked every single computer system and at best they were an hour off. (laughs) Yeah, no, mine, mine seemed to never know what time it is. Some of them were real messed up. So yeah, you kind of got to gauge that because if you're going to start dropping, you want to make sure they're all dropping at the right time and that you're really kind of helping it out. That's right. So uh, I would say that these guys do not get below 70. Um, okay. As far as and, when and I just bring them for the people, that's roughies only. That's that roughies only. About. We're just talking yeah. roughies. So when I do bring them up, um, like I said, normally it is drop down from Christmas and then the coldest months up here are January, February. So I use that to my advantage. And then I usually do the warm up at around mid February, around Valentine's Day. It's great to have these holidays as your markers where it's like I stop feeding at Thanksgiving. I start dropping at Christmas. I start warming up in Valentine's day. And it's one of those where I start warming up and then animals are immediately fed. So it's like warm up, kind of get that going and then offer food. Most of your males are not going to take because they've already got one thing on their mind, but you will see all those females just pound the food. And then you, have been raising temperatures at this time. Once everyone's fed, that's when I do introductions because you have too many instances where you could have a problem, especially with things like white lips, ring mm-hmm. pythons, apodora. Everybody needs a full stomach before we have interactions. So, um, so I would do the same with the roughies. Okay. So, but for your, for your true winter breeders, your straightforward w- winter breeders, you're not feeding all of them are you just just kind of those select species you just mentioned or the ones that are warming up so the winter breeders are on the same schedule as everybody else so where everybody starts dropping around christmas time they're usually at their lowest point around Mm mid-january the winter breeders go further so everybody else levels off and they kind of stay here for a little bit and then again daytime they get basking temperatures so they're they're their cages do go up during the day Winter breeders, I keep dropping till I get to that wonderful point that I want to be with them, which is usually around the 60s, maybe lower. Um, I've dropped a couple animals down to like 55 for like a week or something like that. Well, again, with like 80 something degree hot spots during the day. Um, that's usually for bread lie, uh, spring breeders. Right, spring breeders. Just ah, spring breeders. you said winter. <laughs> Whatever. I meant I meant spring breeders. Cool. Just to um, clarify. Yes. Just We're talking spring. spring. Yes. Right. So they'll kind of keep going and then they'll level out and then they'll start kind of coming up as everybody else is going up. So the winter breeders will hit their normal temperatures before the winter breeders do, but the winter breeders are on their way up because again, it's starting to warm up outside. So where the winter breeders are ready by Valentine's Day, I would say the spring breeders are ready by like 
March, like the be- the beginning of it. And that's when you do introductions and that's when you see copulations, when you see stuff like that. Cause you usually get those eggs by August, something like that. So, right. For your brettles, yes. your bread lie, um, diamonds. My, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say I kind of also am very mean to my olive pythons. It's almost <laughs> like I treat them like a, like a, a I'm really spring mean breeder. to everything. Yeah. Because I don't have a heater. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, okay. my temperatures are Oakland. Whatever. <laughs> but you're also you're also california correct however yeah. i think last night it got down to 38 39 okay um mm. but you know that's that's the extreme end for us not not the norm um yeah so here's a question for you um i know the the holiday trick is mm-hmm. a good one for people to keep in mind. It really plots it out nicely, um, right. especially for folks that haven't uh, gone through this yet or very often. Um, I think one thing that might confuse people is if the seasons and the weather where they're actually at starts changing, not synchronously with the season. So if it right. was you and you have a plan in your mind to do uh, the Thanksgiving, uh, uh, Halloween, uh, so forth system, but then maybe we're in, you know, one of those benchmarks, but maybe the seasons aren't quite changing yet. Maybe it's still, you know, 85 degrees in October. Are you letting that change your calculus or are you sticking to whatever you had in mind, regardless of what's happening outside? I think it has to change it because I used to do it where nobody would eat as of Halloween. And then on Thanksgiving, I would start dropping temps. But like you said, we have like 80 degree days <laughs> in November. Right. And it's like, that's pointless. Um, and also, you know, we had a lot of slugs, clutches and things like that so it's like pushing it back never hurts anybody okay. it just progresses and, and lengthens your summer you know where you will get coastal eggs in july august stuff like that you may not have those bread lie eggs hatching until september october like that's you have to plan accordingly and does that mean that you can take your female bread lie and chuck her right back into rotation probably not if she's if you're trying to get her ready by october and her eggs just hatched. She's only like <laughs> two months out. So that right. doesn't work. So the way I've kind of done it is had almost like a tag team thing. One year on, two years on, one year off is what I used to do. I've gotten so many breeding animals now. It's like you're on this year. Next year, you're off. You're on this year. Next year, you're off. Bread lie, it's just how that goes where it's like I have enough female bread lie that it's almost like one, two, three, four, and then we start again, which means each female gets like three years off in between breeding. Mm-hmm. So the clutches are massive. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those monsters shakes loose. It's like, great, 32 babies. Like, yeah. cool. That's I'm, what I wanted. So, I'm trying to breed uh, 2009 brettles that Nick sent me. <laughs> and my girl. Yeah. I'm really excited to see how many eggs she lays. <laughs> uh, Compared it, to what it's my 2014. It's going to be yeah. a lot. Uh, the girl I got from you laid into the 30s. So, yeah. She, yeah. I'm. I miss that snake. She was pretty. Oh, she's she's very pretty, and she did great. Those babies are awesome. They're fat little Woo! boogers. I love them. Anyway, Excellent. yeah. So I, I would say you have to. And like I said, when I say that they're ready, that means we have now reached their normal temperatures 
in their cages that they are on for the most of the year. So like I said, 84, 85 degree hotspot with a 75 degree night drop. And again, they may not get the 75 degrees during the summer months, but my system will allow it to go that low year round because that's fine. You know, it's, it's good snake temperatures, right? Especially because they have the warm up during the day. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean by they're ready to go by Valentine's day. And it is a time again to offer food. I would not offer food while you're still transitioning up because you don't want them to be stressed. You don't want to feed when you definitely don't want to feed when you're going down. That's just stupid. So it's, <laughs> I would say, wait till they're at their optimal temperature that they're supposed to be at, that you would keep them at year round. And that's when you offer food. And that's when you can do some introductions again, that's some pairs. Yeah. Other pairs, I chuck them together at, in December, and it's like, you guys will figure each other out. You're going to winter together, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, I do that a lot with some pairs of animals that I haven't really figured it out too well. So my water pythons, my gold phase white lips, stuff like that. Like They're paired together so they can winter together. So in case she ovulates... He's right there and ready to roll. So um, that is what I would end up doing with those. Um, But I think you would have to alter your plans. If the weather outside is not cooperating, it does make it harder. It does not make it impossible, but it's much easier to ride the wave kind of down. Right. Specifically, like, yeah, exactly. Like you just said, if if outside is hotter than we would want it, that really fucks things it's, up if it's freezing in september right if winter right. comes early that's okay that Paris just makes together. your life that's, easier yeah. it's so much easier to if it were to drop at like the end of october and stay down that'd be the the best season ever because <laughs> i can very easily heat my cages heat my room and keep everybody where i want them right and then slowly bring them down we all and have it's almost big Blaring heating devices. We don't have ACs in these tanks. Right. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's almost like when they would kind of, when you're coming up, it's much easier to ride that up. So like say we're raising temperatures and it bombs outside. It starts getting cold at the end of February into March, which happens, happens mm-hmm. all the time. I don't give a shit like because I'm already I'm already racking it up like I'm already raising temperatures and it's easier for me to alter and give heat than it is to be like and now I must drop you colder. So it is easier to do that way. Yeah. Yeah. And and so just to summarize for people that don't listen to the breeding episode every year, carpet pythons, your spring breeders are your brettles, your diamonds Right, your what the heck, imbricata? If you're somewhere that, that be, has yeah. those, yeah. and uh, inlands with an asterisk that says some people disagree, but usually inlands. Uh, if Dr. Julander is still in the chat, do you consider inland spring breeders? I think do he you, does. Do I you can dispute speak, that? Listen, listen, I can speak for Dr. Jeff. Ah, speak for um, the yes. I would say that he is a hundred percent in my corner when it comes to that the spring breeders are the bread lie, the inlands, the diamonds, and possibly the imbricata. Perfect. So, and so everything else, everything else is a winter breeder. Winter breeders. Right. Everything else in uh, uh, on average, you don't need to cool. No, 
<laughs> no one needs to listen to him. It's like, sure, but they can breed in the winter too. No. Oh, oh, sorry. No, I just saw no. it. I thought you were. No, no, no. Me. They don't. No, no. They, they, <laughs> he doesn't. So there's this, why I say asterisk. this man knows. This man knows nothing. <laughs> I mean, I I would like to see the literature that he's pulling this from. So, um, but he says, uh, I have my inlands paired up now, and they have been breeding facultative winter breeders. Ha ha. Ah. I mean, I would say that I've paired my bread lie around this time and I've seen them lock up, but then I don't get viable eggs till like July. So they have a wide range, probably experience a huge again. Range show me the proof on the, like if there is there this a map? This guy has a lot a to say about at? carpet python. Yeah, I don't, he's got a lot to say. I would like to know if there's a map somewhere. <laughs> so. Yeah, asterisk next to inland. Um, But whatever. Uh, And then, yes, everything else. There are plenty (laughs) of different ways to skin the cat. So. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah, I don't have yeah, and, and they don't fit in my box. Lord knows what all these cats have done to you. I've been listening to this show so long. How many cats have you skinned, you psychopath? Many. So Uh, many. I know. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like poplins tend to go first on the average. Um, your coastals, your jungles, your true coastals might be behind that. The Chennai and the McDowell, yeah. Darwin's more with the poplins. And that's why we talk about how poplins and Darwin's are usually the first ones to go. Because yes, there is no winter in Papua. Congratulations. Okay, wait, here's, here's a good question. So though. now I would one. say <laughs> that because they're, they don't really have that much of a swing, that they're the ones who usually breed when you drop it down close to maybe 70 degrees, right? Maybe in 70 doesn't take. So much. it does not take much because there is no winter. There is no harsh thing for them to have to do. <laughs> A lot of people can even get those species to go just by food cycling of what prey is available. Um, so she was wondering about Darwin's and getting Cape York cycled more than Indo Ryan Young method. Yeah. I mean, again, we have so many triggers that we throw at these snakes towards a breeding season. What actually is the thing that gets them to go? Is it the drop in the weather? Is it the drop in available food? Is it the presence of a female that is producing follicles for God only knows what reason? So it's kind of one of those things where what is more, what brings that about? I feel like with a lot of Indo species, it is more food cycling than it is drop in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these island species where the only time they get to eat is when the birds are migrating through and they're eating like eight to 10 babies at birds at one time and then starving for months. It's I saw action with my white lips when I dropped them down for winter. I turned off all the food. I brought them up for spring and I fed the male and the female, and I had actually run out of medium rats. <laughs> and I fed my female a large rat where it looks like I shoved a football down her throat. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, because I used to separate for feeding, give them a day to digest, and then put them back in with each other. After that is when the male just keyed in on her and I saw visible locks. Hmm. So it's almost like, and from what I've heard about with Timor pythons, is that you have to almost feed the female to the point where she's almost going to puke. 
or if she does puke because they just eat neat neat. So it's almost, I would say a lot of Indo species, it's got to be food cycling. Now, right. do we accidentally food cycle our Darwins and IJs or Papuans and stuff like that? Because we're not feeding anybody in the room and it, the temperatures have dropped down a little bit. Probably. Right. So, yeah, certainly. And, and I mean, even though there's not a pronounced winter in the equatorial regions and in Papua, um, that doesn't mean that a slight night drop in captivity somewhere in California or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania doesn't do something. Clearly it does because people produce Papua and carpet pythons. People have bred them. People breed Indo species without just kind of doing that kind of stuff. So certainly. So yeah. 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 But good question though. I mean, you, you definitely do need to, to keep in mind how the climate may have sh- uh, impacted those cycles. Right. So, right. Right. You know. And what, what makes it easier and what makes it more difficult? You know, mm-hmm. I think there's always that one year where it almost seems like the East coast guys have a banger year and we all get a bunch of clutches and that the West coast guys have a, crummy year and then it reverses and that kind of stuff what do you think about the difference between repeated putting the mail in taking the mail out driving him around the block combating him putting him back in taking him out putting him in taking him out versus just leaving him in there alone and letting them know when it's time okay I have been a helicopter breeder. I have like watched <laughs> the mail and pulled them out and done this and done that. And there was actually a year where I had a male in with two female, like he was going between two girls and I kept bouncing them back, bouncing them back. And I thought he'd done it because both females just exploded. And I'm like, there we go. And what it turns out is that both females reabsorbed because he was not where he needed to be at a particular time. So I'm very much now in the school of, put them together, leave them alone, come in and separate them. Like I'll usually separate in the morning, feed in the afternoon, and then the next day reintroduce. And that's what happens throughout like, you know, the spring months, like I said, uh, maybe February, March, April into May. Mm -hmm. By the time we're into May, I kind of already know what's going on. I already have some of the ones that I know are gravid. So the, they're, they've been separated and not been repaired. Um, and kind of already know where I'm headed. So, uh, but that is usually what I would end up doing is only separating for maybe a day or two and then putting them back. You do still run the risk of him not being where he needs to be if the ovulation is fast. But mm-hmm. I feel like a day isn't really going to make or break it, especially with something like carpets. Um, with other things like white lips, Olive pythons, I think olives was even more of a window because I didn't want them to be all, they get jazzed up and then they're just like at 11 for like hours. (laughs) So I usually would give them like the day and then maybe introduce the next day. Um, With the white lips, it was usually they ate and then I let them sit. Um, It's kind of like when you go to check on them after they've eaten, if they're right in front of the glass, still kind of looking around. 
like no you you stay there if they're curled up underneath something or in something or they've gone to sleep okay now we'll do the introduction and sometimes i even pull both snakes out of their cages and mm. introduce them into one cage together sure yeah i mean that so. that certainly uh is is relevant to pairing aspidites in in my case um yeah it sounds like you're feeding um those species throughout the year even when yeah. you're pairing them i continue to feed Womas and blackheads as well during the winter. Yeah. Um, smaller meals because I am cooling mine more than most people may choose to, <laughs> but right. uh, that's just how uh, I I operate, and they're fine. Um, it's also a good thing for when the animals come out of a food cycle when they, when food has been turned off. If you kind of show them that there's an abundance of food, right? That yeah. helps with number one, the female getting ready. To like, I almost want to get her enough meal, a, ton, a bunch of meals before she lays, because I don't know how long it's going to take for her to recover. Now I'm definitely into the, I'm going to pull the eggs and let her get back to her thing. So usually she only misses maybe one or two meals in a perfect world. Um, but also she does, I, I don't care how many meals she's eaten prior and how many meals she eats after she looks rough for a good amount of time because there's a lot out of her. Um, so I would like to try to get as much food into her as possible. And also, you know, she eats a couple rats before she, you know, ovulates. Does that mean maybe one or two more eggs? Does that mean healthier babies? Does that mean mm. – I, I don't think it could hurt. Yeah. It's interesting. I, this year I was thinking a lot about when people say, you know, they kind of fed heavy mm. and they think that triggered – uh, folliculogenesis and an ovulation that that abundance um mentality that maybe makes a mother snake think it's a good year let's do this yeah Yeah. um and so with a couple of my womas this year um two both both laid last year Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. one of them i have been feeding the crap out of since about october uh in, in you know, including now, uh, mm-hmm. I'm cooling, I'm pairing, and I'm still feeding the crap out of her. Um, the other one I stopped feeding maybe at the end of October, early November, and I'm just pairing, not feeding. Uh, one is obviously gravity shit, right? And it's the one that I pounded with food, so that's been really interesting for me this year. Yeah, I like uh, that experiment. sample size of two, but yeah. you know, uh. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, every every little bit is interesting. It is, um, and I mean, I, I know that the, it, this kind of also transcends Boyd and things like that because I know that uh, corn snake breeders, king snake breeders, they come out of brumation, and it's just like I think it's like a mouse, maybe not twice a week, but it's just like it's heavy mm-hmm. for a good amount of time, and then it's introductions because right. it's just that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So that that is across the board kind of what where it goes. Um So why don't more people feed your winter breeding carpet pythons during the cold season and pairing? Or do they? And am I am I just off base? I mean, I would say that some people do. Um I'll tell you right now that my guys will eat right now. If I were to go down there and thaw out food, I fed a couple um uh, juvies that are not going down for winter 
Okay. But are kind of getting a, a nice little taste of it because now they're they've entered I've got a what, bunch of those. They, they've left what I like to call <laughs> they've left what I like to call rack life. So they spend <laughs> the first couple of years in like fives, fifteens, thirty twos, forty ones, and now they're in a cage. Well, the cages, like I told you, do that night drop year round. And that's not a big thing during the summer months. But now we're heading into the winter months. So at the least, they're going to hit 75 at night, which maybe for a juvenile two-year-old, three-year-old carpet is not necessarily that, you know, bad. They're big enough now. They know how the cycling works. They've been in this cage for a couple months, but they've also never experienced the spigot getting turned off when it comes to food. So... Some of them I'm kind of doing that because I want them to be ready by next year. So it's sporadic feeding. So the temperatures got a little colder. Food got a little scarcer. I still want them to grow because I need them to be on base for maybe next year. But this is their first dose of it. But I'll tell you right now, they'll eat all of them. Every single one. They're like outside looking at me, checking that out. I even know some animals that I even put down for winter that'll eat. Right now, uh, I have a tiger that I'm getting ready to pair with a hypo male and the hypo male. I know <laughs> the hypo male. I was put, I was pushing food to him. So I haven't dropped him yet because I want him to eat some more. And she's just a monster. She's, she's big. She's evil, but she makes the prettiest babies. So it's <laughs> like, I'm hoping that uh, she kind of chills out a little bit. And because she's still on point with trying to eat everything. Um, so I'm kind of giving her a little bit longer. And then I think I'm going to do some test intros uh, this weekend or next weekend because Christmas falls on a Monday. So I have like Monday, Tuesday off. So like that's a perfect time to like just put them together and sit down with my coffee and like listen to a book and try to make sure nobody kills anybody. Coffee. Um, coffee. Yeah. Coffee, you say. But I go get it in the morning and then I come in and do snake stuff. <laughs> that's what my weekend entails. So yeah. Um, so that's what I would do. And also like I'll do the introductions with the golds. And um I'm not breeding any olives this year, which is weird. Because hmm. it's been like a four year kind of like Yeah, you're olive king. I don't want to be. <laughs> I like those, a lot of them. <laughs> I like those green ones with the little red thing in the middle. <laughs> what do they call that? Pimento? Shut up. So, <laughs> Forget about it. Shut up. Hey. Uh, it looks like um, we have a question here for sharing yes. tips on breeding yes, yes. jungle carpets. Jungles. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start this one as I've produced jungles twice. Uh, <laughs> but I, that's two for two. I've, I've, produced, I've produced jungles too. um tips i mean i i think owen you'd probably agree with me they're one of the more more straightforward uh, they are in the spilota complex if an idiot like me can do it the first two tries um and mine were highlighter lines so they might even have a little diamond sprinkled in there making it harder uh anyone can do it um not they're not difficult um (laughs) i would say that as long as you follow the basic carpet recipe right you'll get jungles yeah i will say um i the first year was careful not to let mine get too far below 70 at night uh right because that is that conventional recipe and she laid eggs and it was great 
Um, and then last this this year, 2023, I was uh, very rude to them, and they probably got down into the 50s a few times um, with heat during the day. And I'm not recommending that anybody like chooses to do that. I'm just I'm telling my truth. Uh, and she laid another perfect clutch, and everybody's fine. So take that. Uh, I, I would as you say will. that if <laughs> all right. So if you have a dedicated <laughs> if you have a dedicated snake room. And you allow your jungle carpets, and I'll, I'll throw coastals in here as well, um, to get to probably close to 70 degrees, um, you have the potential of getting a clutch when you pair. Especially if they have an 82 uh, to 84 degree hotspot during the day. Because you don't want them to get their whole temp, like their normal 86 or whatever hotspot, wherever you might have. Somewhere in the low 80s is a good hot spot during winter. Um, you'll probably get eggs. Um, if you are having a little bit of trouble or you want to dip a little bit lower, you can go into, like I said, the high sixties. If you want to drop them to, I don't know, 68, that's not really that horrible. I think for a jungle or a coastal, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> um, and then again, warm spot during the day. You, I have you, a theory. Go ahead. I think What's that theory? a lot of these snakes, especially our Australian pythons, can handle pretty dang cold temperatures at night as long as they warm up during the day. I right. think that maybe people got a little bit gun shy and thought that perhaps cooling them a little too much made them go bubble bubble death Right uh, back in the day when maybe those snakes just like had a thing mm. and – it just took a little bit of extra stress from the environment for that thing to, you know, poke through. Maybe they, yeah. maybe they just were sick. Maybe, maybe a healthy snake is fine with cold temperatures, I, but that's I, just a thought. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I think snakes can definitely take cooler temperatures than we not to say that we have to. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's a very much a lot of the formulaic stuff that we come to with breeding was we got to what is the bare minimum of what we have to do to get them to breed. Mm -hmm. What's the what's the lowest temp we have to or what's the highest temp we get to drop them to to get them to breed. Right. So 68, 67. Yeah, probably. But you might get lucky at the 70s. There are a <laughs> lot of different ways to do this. Um so what is this question? How do I feel about hotspot <laughs> stable at 90, 92? Okay. At uh, all times. At all times. Closure. Cold zones are permitted to drop below. Sounds like a big distance. cage. Well, it also maybe sounds like a diamond but it sounds cage. pretty cool. I think that's fine. Um, I uh, am of the opinion that. Well, it's not really an opinion. I'm in the position mm -hmm. where I set my hotspot. My apartment gets cold. My hotspot is what it is and everything else is what it is. And so right. a lot of the times, a lot of my enclosures are exactly what he's describing. And uh, the snake can do whatever it wants. So if that access is there, I think that's fine. That's one of those things where it feels like if there is a hotspot, like, and we're talking like dead in the middle of the hotspot is like 90, 92. Mm-hmm the snake is not necessarily going to be coiled under there for that long or at all, depending on yeah. how the temperatures are going through the day. Um, but potentially it does that. I would say that's probably closer to 
a lot of what these animals deal with in the wild. I'll tell you right now, in Darwin, when it was like a hundred and something degrees, you know, the animal comes out, warms up, and then runs back to the shade or into a rock crevice to hang out in the 70s. And you have to wait till nighttime when it gets to be, you know, high 70s, low 80s for the animals to start coming out and cruising. So that just kind of seems where it's easier to do that. So I would say there's probably nothing wrong with that. I would just make sure that there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. You know, how big, like you said, the size of the enclosure is something that you need to be considered. You know, if you have a four footer and half the cage is 92, you that no, that that's not, that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Well, the other half isn't dropping into the fridge. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there has to be that. It needs to be big enough to have that kind of a range or right. to have the ability to have a hot spot. A lot of like big, tall walk-in enclosures kind of have this kind of setup. Where here are the hot spots, the rest of the cage is going to do whatever the hell the rest of the cage is going to do. Well, there. So, and then for me, there are a couple cases where I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that for, say, a diamond. Um, the okay. reason being, I feel like these snakes need to be cold for their health, right? Okay. And I think we've we've established that diamond python syndrome, yada yada yada. They got to cool down. So do I trust the snake to do that for itself, given right. a corner of 50 degrees is available, or is it going to sit under 90 to 92 year round, regardless right. of what the temperature is in the corner and right. Not do what is quote best for itself. If given right. a choice, um, I, I don't know that I would, give it the choice to do the wrong thing for its physiology. Just but then kinda... again, if the sun is shining on a winter's day on a wild and it's sitting on diamond, a black thing, yeah. It's probably about 90 to 92. So yeah. it's yeah. tricky. I don't know, but th- that is a thought that I have there. Yeah. Yeah. I, know. That, <laughs> I, I, I would say it can be done. I would say that there's a lot right. of different ways to do that kind of stuff and and that that is probably not an issue. Um, and some species might enjoy that more than other stuff, you know, give it a go chap. Yeah. So report back. I, I, I was looking at these lights from Arcadia that like you can set up with an app and it will dim and like, it'll gradually build like sunrise and then it'll be its hottest, like its brightest. And then it'll gradually go down like it's sunset and you can program that it'll follow what's going on outside for seasonal cool. stuff. So it'll get darker sooner and all that stuff. And I'm like, I want these for my rhino rat snake cage in my living room so badly. So that would be epic. One day. Yeah. yeah. All right. So carpet Python, basic reproduction stuff, I'd say covered right. some ancillary stuff covered aspidites, white lips, roughies. Uh, do you even want to talk about colubrids? Should we just go crazy? I mean, colubrids is I <laughs> unplug the rack system and I leave them alone and walk away. And then I return to them several months later and then I feed them, plug the thing back in and, and feed them. And then I put them together. So, And in my case, I let 
Zach Loafman send me a pair of Lake Chapala garter snakes and I put and them in a tank breathe, and then yeah. they just breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't turn anything on or off. <laughs> I, uh, um, I actually, I tried to feed my Kribo, uh, this week and they both refused. Snake? No, oh. no. I tried to feed them frog legs, which are something my Kribo love and they both refused. So I'm like, okay. Um, it might be around the time for them. I didn't want to, I, I almost didn't want to pair them this year. I wanted to give them a year to kind of bulk up a little bit because mm. they're both nice size Kribo, but everybody else I've seen are much bigger. Plus I I got slug eggs last right. year for like the fifth time in a row. But I also got slug eggs in this cage, which is where the female is. And then like a month later, found a slug egg, two slug eggs in this cage where it's where the male was in but they both had access to the cages. So I'm not sure if she started laying the slug eggs and I missed them or if I have two girls and that's why I haven't (laughs) been able to get breeding. I probed them and they're both in betweeners when it comes to creepo stuff. So I'm like, I hate you both. So, (laughs) well, that's a conundrum. Uh, it is. I'm giving my indigos another year. I don't want to, I I don't want to push it. Um, But I am cooling both of them. Just so I that would. they know what's up. Right. I talked to John Michael and uh, he suggested that even when cooling Easterns, at least, you know, keep mm-hmm. feeding. Um, he, he feeds pretty much year round. So, you know, their their appetite isn't going away um, with <laughs> the gold. <laughs> a lot of the big colubrids, it's like that when cooling down, food becomes scarcer. But it never, you never turn it off all the way. Like, I will continue to feed my Madagascar hogs and my Chinese king rats. But it's like, instead of getting like a bowl of like fish and chicken and eggs and all stuff, they'll get like one chick and a mouse. Like, mm. and then they'll just eat those. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So you do all the things right. You see your females swell up. Looks like she ate a football. Yep. Jump for joy. Yep. Post it on Instagram. Yep. What happens next? You wait. What? What? That's it. You wait. Because <laughs> I would say how you many provide a suitable nesting location. Obviously. <laughs> um, so I'll, year year round, I have these bins in with my snakes. They're the black bins with the yellow lids that you can get at like Lowe's and Walmart. They're little, I want to say five gallon totes and they're in those cages year round and they're usually filled with mulch and moss and i will yeah but smaller that's a bigger one yeah um they usually filled with mulch mulch and moss and stuff like that before breeding season i'll usually make sure they're clean and i'll fill them up like i'll top them off more moss bunch more moss moss wet it down kind of do that pack it in there so the female will lay the eggs in that bin. That is the plan. Plans <laughs> are always sometimes not followed. Sometimes they scatter them. Sometimes like the female white lip, she kept, she made a burrow underneath the hide box and that's where she wanted them. And I knew this is where she was going to put them. And I even moved the box, filled in the burrow, put the box back and she dug out it again. I <laughs> then moved all the mul- mul- the mulch and put the box down in the burrow and she still went further so i'm like all right screw it so i knew that's where those eggs were going um so you kind of do that you give the suitable nesting site and that's 
I will not open that bin during the entire breeding season. So, you know, if she's out of it, then maybe I'll grab it and clean it if it needs it. But I'm not, if she's in there, I'm peeking in. I'm not opening it up because I want her to feel like this is a secure place to put the eggs. Right. So that's usually what I end up doing there. So that's your, your nesting site. If she moves it around the cage, let her fucking move it. Okay. Like she, she like they'll drag it and then I'll push it back and then they'll drag it back. So just wherever she wants to put the damn thing, let her put the damn thing. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I know like Joshua just said, Gary, uh, Scavino doesn't provide nest boxes, um, for chondros and things like that. He likes using just half corks and, you know, to that, I'd say they'll lay wherever they feel comfortable. To and- be honest, that is what I do with my colubrids is um, mm-hmm. flat cork. So yeah. they will they will go under and they will spin <clears throat> and make a divot out of the mulch underneath the cork bark. And that's where they put the eggs. It's where all totally. my hognos, uh, the non-giants, the blondes, that's where they put theirs. It's with the corn snakes, the king snakes. Everybody puts their stuff there. Um, so I would mm-hmm. say that. What's this one up yeah, here? Yeah, I've had, uh, I've had snakes. One- What's this? A uh, Greg Cooper reptiles. Oh, the, I mean, call you radio this week. Oh yeah, I do not. <laughs> I do not provide any hotspot for my Chinese king rats. They have no heat in those cages. Those cages are just the tallest, the highest cages on that snack on the stack in the Python room. Whatever the Python room is that's where they're at and we're at that point now where like i have um so for those of you who haven't been to my house you go downstairs <laughs> into the basement and the first thing you are is you're in the large python room which is where the white lips the bread lie um the olive pythons Kribo, um and the tortoise are and <laughs> yes that's what you meant <laughs> doesn't hurt at all uh, then you go into the main snake room which is where all the pythons the carpet pythons and stuff are uh, as well as uh some of my larger collier brids and that's where the chinese king rats are and then in the side room is where my false water cobra are uh one of my paramedagascar hognos my vietnamese blue beauties and then all my smaller collier brids corn snakes king snakes stuff like that uh so the those doors usually all remain closed so you have those kind of different biomes or whatever you want to call them but during winter i'll keep all those doors open so the side room where the small colubrids are gets much colder but during the winter months i will keep all those doors open so that the entire snake room does cool otherwise it'll just stay warm because of all the cages that are on it so nice nice (laughs) (laughs) um and uh did you see that? It's dangerous as shit. You put them together, and <laughs> I, I I would say that my pair get along with each other, not so much with me. Um, my male's a dick. Uh, he'll shit all over you and then bite you for good measure because he's a dick. I do that um, to my enemies, too, to be fair. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I've paired them now. It's really hard to see them. I've never seen a lock. I've gotten now, this will be my third year in a row with clutches, and I've yet to see a lock. Um, They will eat throughout uh, the whole thing. 
And I'll definitely put more food to her just because she likes to double clutch on me, even though I never asked her to do that. And it, <laughs> I would prefer it if she didn't. Um, but wasn't in the wait, contract. Please stop. Like, Knock I just, it like, off. She's like, here's 10 eggs. I'm like, good. She's like, month later, he's here's eight slugs and two good ones. I'm like, no one asked you to do this. Like, she went to the same school as my Lake Paula Carter. School. Just like, Jesus Christ, just stop. <laughs> so, um, I'll end up doing that. Uh, but as far as they go with breeding, I don't mess with their temps. So it really doesn't take that much to get them to go. Like they're not, dro- I'm not dropping them down. Like some of my other Collier Brits where they got to like, where I'm like almost finding out space for them in the freezer. Like, it's like these guys, it does not take much. Um, I would like to get the fertility up because like I said, I do get usually one good clutch and then the next clutch is like a bunch of slugs and two or three good eggs. Um, so I'd like to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's just my boy or my girl, but so far we've been okay with the babies. Um, and as far as incubation with them is they go in a bin in some verbiculite with a bunch of moss on top and they're shoved in on a shelf that's right above my freezer and <laughs> they go, I'll see you guys later. So, all right. Now everybody knows how to incubate Chinese king rat eggs. Chinese king rat we eggs. talked about carpet python eggs. We did. We did. Yeah, well, <laughs> all right. So you get the eggs from a carpet python, <laughs> and now you have the decision to make. Is she keeping them or you? That is the question. Now, we all know your answer. <laughs> I have done one maternal incubation over my career when it comes to Morelia. One. Yep. And she crapped on the eggs, and it was a fun, wonderful time. Yeah. Yeah, I think she must have been a listener to the show, and she just didn't want to let you. I mean, she was also want to let remember you that tiger. Remember that tiger female I was explaining was a hard, evil bitch. <laughs> yeah, yes. it was her. So you know. <laughs> well, I mean, so there's that, right? There, there are bad mothers, but right. then on the flip side, They're good I mothers. let my two first snakes that I bred ever do it, and they both had perfect catch rates there are some fantastic um, mothers now and so you have to just make that decision for yourself right knowing that it will go one of two one ways One of two ways yeah, and if exactly. it goes the poor way you can be home to intervene if you're lucky and have an incubator I would say, or you're not <laughs> i would say have you you need to make the decision if you're going to do maternal you need to know that that is not a split second decision. That is not the well, if the incubator is full, I'll let a couple of females hang on to the eggs. Uh, shut up. Like, you need to make <laughs> that decision because she needs to be ready to go. She needs to have good food stores, fat stores, and you need to also have a plan of how you're going to do this. So, my females, when I did the maternal incubation, my female curled up with her eggs. Every morning, I would catch her off of the eggs on top of her bin basking and then she would go back and then in the evening before the the temperatures dropped again she would be out basking and she would go back to the eggs and she would stay with them all night um that is usually when i would check on the eggs is when i caught her off of them or when i would try to feed her because she did eat throughout so that is something is is your female going to eat throughout is that something that you're going to be able to accommodate some Females will eat throughout. Some won't. 
So now if you were planning on taking this female, breeding her, and then maternally incubating, and then possibly trying to get her ready to go for a back-to-back season, and she doesn't eat throughout the incubation, does that throw the wrench in the works? Or I think if you're going to do maternal incubation, you should plan on just giving her the year off the next year because I think it's a lot. So that's part of it. Now, if she maternally incubates the eggs and she doesn't eat throughout and the clutch eventually bombs, did you like, you know what, like, did you do this for a reason? Like, you know, now, now you have no eggs and she looks like crap. So, yeah, no, certainly. I mean, there, there is, there is the possibility for disaster. Of course it could go the other way. Maybe you take all the eggs and somebody kicks your incubator and they all drown in there and then oops maybe you should have left it with mom <laughs> all exactly. the, you know but i i guess i feel like i'm kind of on on team eric with it where it's kind of another thing to do if you want to do it because it's amazing to yeah. witness um but uh like you said there's a lot of other considerations and it just depends on on what your goal is if you're trying to breed that female again, the following year, or if you're really, really hell bent on the eggs hatching and having the minimum amount of variables to prevent that. Um, I, I would say that it's something fun to do and it's something cool to watch, but it's not necessarily a necessity. Like they don't, I don't see any reason to do it outside of, your own kind of wanting to observation see observation of right. behavior. Yeah. Which, eh, whatever. I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's I, their own for that. I, exactly. <laughs> I can take it or leave it. Some people love it. I, whatever. Um, I feel like yeah. it's one more thing to worry about with, you know, it's bad enough to have the, this is the centralized incubator. If the house is on fire, I know where to go. Like it's <laughs> now, now you're telling me somewhere over here. Like it's um <laughs> Right. But, you know, it is cool. Um, I I would feel like, so obviously that's your one point and you have to make sure that the female has the cage to do it and mm-hmm. can regulate and do all that. And if she eats, it's awesome. If she doesn't, whatever. But then the other side of it is the incubator. And I would say that you need to have the safety net of the incubator regardless I do not be this thinking person that is like, well, my incubator broke and we're headed into breeding season. Well, you know, I'll just let her, I'll let them all maternally incubate. Well, what if they don't wrap the eggs or what mm-hmm. if like mom doesn't do well and is sick and you got to pull the eggs, always have the incubator set up, always have it ready. Um, always test it before you go into breeding season, turn it on, fire it up, make sure it holds heat, make sure it doesn't need any repairs. Because if you do things yeah. right, you'd be surprised how long during breeding season that fucking thing has to run. Like <laughs> mine start like, you know, you have one <laughs> toastal that goes early and then you have one bread line that goes late. It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, yeah, on. it's, it's 75% of the year. <laughs> right, It's on from like March to goddamn September. Yeah. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I completely agree. I mean, it's good to have that backup plan as well. I mean, you might observe your mother snake 
doing some less than adequate things with your not eggs. Doing nice, <laughs> not doing nice mother snake things. Yeah. And, well. you know, maybe you're lucky and you get a chance to correct that. Um, so, yeah, agreed. Uh, what is your egg box set up for a carpet right. python clutch? So it's a plastic shoe box with holes all throughout the sides. And it has perlite or vermiculite. Either one or. of those, you don't one care. of those two things, a <laughs> mixture of the two. I don't give a shit. They both retain water. It's their whole purpose. So, vermiculite, perlite. Um, I used to do a one to one ratio of mixing, but with anything, as you've been doing it so much, you know what too much water is and what too less water is. It needs to be the consistency of dry sand that when you scoop it up and kind of squeeze it, it holds form and shape. For a little bit. And you don't want puddles of sitting water. So everything should be absorbed into this stuff. So you damp it down. And then I have the plastic uh, blight diffusers. Yep. Cut yep. into rectangles. They go onto the substrate. Like jammed in there. And then the eggs go on top. Lid goes on into the incubator. That's it. Oh. I don't crack them open i don't check for air exchanges i don't tilt it a little bit to make sure the droplets run to several things it has air holes in the sides all along so that's your air exchange there's a fan in my incubator that will turn on when the incubator turns on that will cycle the air and that's it perfect and it's not a sealed box because it's like i mean the lid locks but it's not air can get in there through those giant ass holes on the side so that's part of it okay um, and 88.7 88. 88 oh you neanderthal 88 <laughs> I, oh my goodness the point seven is where it matters like it's my my incubator goes from 87 to 88 which means that it'll stop it will it will turn off at 88 and it'll turn on at 87 so it just does this there you go all the time as it should and it is a gutted coca-cola drink fridge with a glass front sealed all around with flex watt heat tape the big thing going all down the back and on the bottom and right. it is run by a ranko thermostat I made this in my mother's backyard where I gutted all the things that a refrigerator needs to live out of the bottom of it um, and may have leaked Freon into the atmosphere, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but I kept the electrical intact, which is why the fan turns on and runs to keep air circulation and stuff like that. This incubator has worked for me since my first breeding season in 2010, all the way till now. Nice. And I That's haven't nice. had to change a thing out of it. That's pretty good. Now, for me, I have messed around with incubation the first time I did it. Uh, I just did the the wet perlite and the light diffuser mm -hmm. crate because they are brittle eggs. And that's what I've been hearing on podcasts to do. Um, and it worked great. No problem. Um, I hatched them out of barely sealing you know, shoe boxes with the lids that don't really mm -hmm. like actually do anything. Uh, and I've hatched them in sim containers. Um, I've hatched them 
with a like 50 50 like literally weighed out measurement of water and perlite and then i've done it where there's literally just like puddles of water like you're saying not to do um and it was fine but then they lived then again we're talking about carpet pythons um now i think it's fair to say uh that not all eggs are as easy as carpet python eggs. Now, I, we can I will, get into I will that. Now, I will now uh, do this. I will now do this. Uh-huh. The same method I've just outlined for carpet python eggs. Gold phase white lip, olive python, rough scale python. All good. All good. Bing, bing, all bing. of them hatched. Brilliant. But I will tell you this. Olives take way longer. Mm. And you just need to like, if you're one of those people that is like, it is now day 60 and I'm looking at my happy little surgical scissors and I'm going to start cutting. You Try don't need day to 47. You don't need to breed all the <laughs> pythons. Okay. Like you don't, please don't like it. It like, I think it was day 70, like 75, 76 when I got like a pip and don't ever, don't cut the rest. Just let everybody pip. Just let it, just let it happen. Yeah. Me and scissors have a difficult history. Um, yeah. A complex past. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. It, it, it happens, but you no, know. <laughs> anyway. And then, so I'm just using a sea serpents incubator. I went the commercial route cause I didn't really okay. trust my craftsmanship and that thing's great. <laughs> it works great. I, uh, 88.7 like i said okay and then uh i do a 1.5 degree night drop as well okay. do i have a good reason no mm-hmm. but it makes sense in my brain and jason hood said that he likes to do it so i did it <laughs> but that's all i have on that um nothing bad happened i mean <laughs> I, again we like People have the styrofoam hovibators and they get shit to hatch. Like, yes, there are. It just depends on how you take care of it and what your parameters are. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I got a surprise clutch the one year and I threw them in the incubator and I'd forgotten that I had unplugged the incubator. Yeah, they they, <laughs> kept, they kept going. They hatched at day 82, 83. They hatched. They were a bitch to get going in feeding, but they hatched. So there are a lot of different ways to do this kind of stuff. Right. And that's why it's like maternal incubation. It doesn't need to be as perfect as people think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if your temperatures are off a little bit, she's still going to incubate those eggs. They're still going to hatch. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, at the beginning of my grad school thing, I was looking into maternal versus artificial incubation. And we did put data loggers in a bunch of clutches of mm-hmm. Brettel's eggs, both under mom and in incubators at my place at mutton's place. And it's really impressive to see the graphs and see how much, uh, variation the maternal eggs undergo. Right. Um, and they're, they're just fine. Um, so, you know, back again to your murderous cat ways, uh, many ways there are there. Are, and it's, and it, and that's why it's like people kind of like asking the question of how did you do it? It's like, well, I can tell you what I did and somehow it like all everything clicked together, but what works for me might not work for you. Mm-hmm. And what worked for my pair might not work for your pair. Right. And all this other stuff. So 
you know, it, it, it really depends on what your personal situation is. I can only tell you what I do and you can take the information that I gave you and try to see how to make it work for you. But I would say, do not try to, cause some people want me to give them like a bullet point shot for shot thing of every single day in yeah. my breeding season. And I would say that's, it's hard when when you're when you're new and you haven't done it before. Um, I know that was me. I mean, I my first season, I did make a bullet point list. I did too. I based did on too. like an hour conversation with Nick. I was like, no, no, no. And then you did what? Like right. after how long for the cooling? And, and I, I had the recipe. I had the same thing <laughs> for I, I reptilicus reptiles. Will Leary put out a a, a reptiles magazine article on it i had his article on how to breed carpet pythons and an anthony caponetto's website where you detailed on how to breed carpet pythons and i laid them both out and i kind of followed them as close as humanly possible right well at, you know he's in north carolina he's uh, it didn't really work like there's there was some room for adjustments which is what i have and i would say that yes. when trying to figure out the olive pythons i did lay out a day-by-day plan and then as you get into it more, as you become kind of, you know, I guess more in tune with what your animals are doing or you have success, right. you kind of get it back on the back burner. That That's kind of the, the art of it, if yeah. you will, rather than, you know, just following a recipe, you're actually figuring out where you need to, to zig and when you need to zag right. for your animals where you are based on what you're seeing in front of you that year. Um, and I think that tuning it, once you get the first few under your belt and then starting to tune into those things, that's where it really gets pretty damn addicting and mm -hmm. never stale. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? I, and, and I would say that, um, like I said, the incubator is just for pythons. Mm. All my other colubrid stuff, they're on a shelf in my snake room. And that's from Madagascar hognose all the way to Chinese king rats, black rat snakes, North American stuff, and the rhino rat snakes too. So that's good for them. What's good for pythons is the incubator. How uh, hot or cold? What's your min max on that shelf, you think, for your colubrid eggs? I'm 82, curious. 83 max. Okay depending on when they're what's going on in that room. Like I said, it, I have hold it night. Not really. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a central room and that's, that room is actually, cause my basement is a walkout basement. So part of it's underground and where the mm. snake, the main snake room is completely a hundred percent underground. And then, um, the offshoot colubrid room is also underground, but it's, it's facing like it, it's got a window. It's got up <laughs> against, it's not insulated. And then the outside with the big snake rooms, uh, with the big snakes, that is the one that is partially underground, and then it's got the walkout. So I would say that they're on the shelf in the main room that's underground with all the other snake cages and racks. It, it does get kind of warm in there, yeah. but I usually take them into wet perlite, bury them half, cover them in damp moss, and then I will just spray the moss down every couple days, something like that, <laughs> and... It, it hasn't been a problem. Whole different thing. That's neat. Yeah. Um, what, but 
low what do you think like 78 77 yeah i'd say that i mean okay. during the during the during the time of when the call you bread eggs are there yeah yeah that's cool about right cool cool Which right on i could probably put them anywhere i mean i really don't have to keep them there it's just that's that's a, it's a convenient shelf yeah so it's just like no that's go. awesome i'm gonna have yep. to find my shelf if i succeed with indigos <laughs> I, that I just, that's the weird thing is like so this year was the first year with the false water cobra mm-hmm. um and it's one of those where i still have all but two of those babies so out of the 13 i think i have 10 and um they're cool. They're great. They eat like they eat like horses. But then it's like, do I want to pair? Do I want to pair those monsters again to potentially get another thirteen, or do I want to maybe not with what Loafman's doing to the market? I don't give a <laughs> shit what the market is like. I'm kidding. That's a joke. But it's like, what, what do I want to do as far as like? It, it it's like, do I want to put them together and potentially get more? false water cobra when i still have all the false water cobra that i have from last year majority of them probably not no, no not really i don't think so <laughs> or <because> yes <laughs> i don't think so because i'll tell you right now those babies that i have those baby falsies they're eating so much so fast like they they're already on they're already they on like really fast hoppers and i didn't even try like i'm like yeah. not feeding them and they're already on hoppers, um, getting close, yeah. or they're fuzzy hoppers. And now it's one of those you have to move them to bigger cages. Like it's like I have to move them up now. Yeah. So, but they're gorgeous. I would say some of them are just um because I have a high yellow female and a high black male. Mm-hmm. And some some of them came out looking like him. Some of them came out looking like her, and others just came out looking fucking weird. And I'm like, <laughs> you get like you're awesome. So, yeah, that's awesome. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. But that was yeah, a learn on and the then, fly with them. So it was one of those, the eggs came and I kind of went with the, I'm going to treat you like all the other colubrid eggs. And we're going to see what happens. If you all die, I did it wrong. <laughs> like it's totally kind of that whole thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year, um, you know, the year of Woma for me, <laughs> I had four clutches to mess around with and, um, I had never did you find done a, that before. Did you find a suitable how you would take like a a a go to how to set up Woma X? I can form? only go off of what happened for me last year, and that was you know 100 percent perfect hatch rate. Um, That's not a bad thing if you across like the clutches. Yeah. Not to say that if I do the exact same thing this year, that'll be the case again. But okay. I, I really liked what what I did last year, and that was that was a Brett Bender special, um, which was the specific box that he sent me a link to. I I can't recall the the size. I'm looking right at him, but plastic okay. box, one of those ones with the pretty tight sealing lid with the foam around okay, okay. the lid, you know, like a weather sealing yeah, yeah. Uh, lid. Um, I drilled five holes in the top. I okay. put about an inch layer of dry perlite, and then I mixed a 50-50 wet okay. uh, vermiculite and water and did that as a middle layer. I call it the layer cake. And then another about an inch of dry perlite on top of the wet vermiculite. So okay. you had dry, 
50-50 wet, dry, and then I put the eggs right on top of the dry perlite. I taped all the holes closed for the first 45 days, 40 days or so, and then I I let the uh, box breathe more for the last couple weeks. Uh, I opened them and wiped down condensation as needed but again this is just like the only thing i tried and it worked that doesn't mean that i had to do all that i could have done my carpet python setup and maybe they all would have hatched too but that but that that um, but you did this you have 100 percent, and then yeah maybe, so I, I have to like, keep yeah. doing it right well, well no and, and so i should say too i did the layer off cake. a little bit and see what happens like well, I could, it's almost but like, i I don't want it's to. almost like maybe the <laughs> next year you don't go as hard into this and they all still hatch. Okay. Well, so, and I mean, you yeah. have to understand, right? Like I'm coming off of getting a beautiful, perfect clutch of seven Western blackhead eggs in 2022 yes. that yes. only turned into two babies that crushed my soul but as I watched them slowly dying. You, so you cannot I was, gauge everything on that shit because I will tell you. I know. I, but I got that's why 10. I was okay with going hard. <laughs> right. And that's fine. So I got, but I got, and that's what people don't understand is that it, it's always the next step. It's always the next thing. It's the next hurdle. It's the next problem. And if you solve that problem, you get to solve the next problem. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it never stops. So right. I got my blonde hog noses. I got them to size. I got them to pair. After I figured out I had a reverse trio instead of a trio, I got to stitch them up and make sure that they lived. I got to then get the female to cycle. (laughs) Then I got to figure out how to get her to breed. Then I got the eggs. Then I had to figure out how to get the eggs to hatch. Then I got the babies to hatch. Then I had to get the babies to feed. Why do we do this? Then I had babies dropping dead. We have a mental illness. Of course we do. (laughs) Of course we do. And people are like, you're doing a great job. Congratulations. I'm like, no, it's not. It's horrible. So it's, (laughs) but that's the thing where it's like the next time I kind of already got bullets in the gun. Like I know what to do with giant hog noses. Those babies hatch. I know exactly what to do. You're all getting offered this. Holy crap. You guys ate pinkies done. Like it's almost like with rhinos. I got to sit there on the floor with all 10 of my baby rhinos. I had 12 at that time because I had two clutches and I had to, and I had to feed them all with these fish scented pinkies that I'd ripped the legs off of because I wanted them to go down easier like a fish. Or I had to (laughs) set up a tank of minnows to try to get them eating. And now it's like, here is your pinky that was thawed out with a fish. And then they just, I just drop it on them and walk away and they garble it down. Like it's, that kind of stuff. It's those learning curves where you mm-hmm. have to sit down there and be there for hours trying to get these animals to do something so that the next time it's easier for yourself. Yeah. So that's why yeah, it's no. always hard when people are like, how do you break carpet by then? Son, I throw them in there. <laughs> like, and they just, <laughs> he does stuff. And then I get the eggs later. Like it's yeah. totally. Yeah, no, I, I know it. And we can speculate all we want about what was the thing that did it, or maybe it all would have worked out all along, even if we didn't do all the other things. But of course, since Wilma's went so well last time, I'm going to do the layer cake until of it doesn't you are. work. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to do it until either you slack off and it still works. And you just kind of keep, you find right. your new, your new high level. Like, you know, right. you don't have to go this hard or 
maybe you just keep going this hard. Maybe you right. know this is what it needs to be. And if they were less important to me, maybe I'd be okay exactly. doing the science experiment. But they're important to me. <laughs> exactly. What I, uh, but I would say, too, just, just to close the book on that, yeah. I, I also ran Layer Cake on jungle carpets and that worked fine but uh, they're jungle carpets like i just wanted to try i mean um, like it's like i'm pretty sure you could put you know, them in a moldy okay, sock right, and they'll hatch look, i'll admit it i did it because it looks cooler when all the boxes are the same oh, and okay right, yeah, right. listen just listen OCD. just because your ocd was like this <laughs> box is different. you would hate my incubator because it's like shoebox 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 giant bin that has the olive python <laughs> eggs in it shoebox shoebox <laughs> none of the shoeboxes are the same model like right. yeah it's so and and who am i to talk look at this cages exactly, um, exactly. i painted that one orange i built that and i did that to myself um what annoys anyway. me is that you have a black stack with a white cage on top of it right there and yeah. it's like i wish there was another white cage so you can just do like black white black white but like <laughs> i don't there's it's not it's not it's not there yeah Anyway, uh, <laughs> and so if I'm lucky enough to get blackhead eggs again, and well, actually, if I'm lucky enough to be home when my blackhead lays eggs, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try layer cake for them. Um, I, I think you should because it, it worked with it worked with Wilma's. Yeah. So now now let's say if it what let's say if the layer cake situation works part way with the blackheads like it it's kind of good but not as good with the womas do you feel like you can tweak the layer cake even more or where would you even go with tweaking hmm. where blackheads just broken and we should just give up on them as the species i don't know how to feel i part of me thinks <laughs> it sounds like that... a personal problem buddy well, yeah, <laughs> it's another episode. Um, okay. Part of me thinks that because the Western thing went so shitty in the way uh -huh. that it did that year for those eggs, you know, I've talked about it. I think that the embryos were dead when they were laid. I, think I, ones, I would agree. Yeah. The, the ones that were going to hatch hatched in, in my opinion, based on what I saw when I cut them open and yes. the fact that I didn't have time to fuck up. They were leaking fluid <laughs> the night they were laid. Um, <laughs> right. Like, right. How, how do I mess them up in three hours? Um, so I'm not even necessarily ready to blame myself for the incubation yet. And I only have the data of one clutch, but then again, you know, the same thing happened to Nick and Justin's, clutches that same year with the westerns right. and then i think last year justin had a much better hatch rate with another clutch of of westerns from him so you know i'm definitely gonna give him a call if i get a clutch and see what was going on there but how many um, layers was your cake what you know maybe it's just something something with that i i don't hear well and we we had that we had that conversation with like my pine snakes where it's like, I get 10 right. eggs and I only get like three babies. It's like, well, is it the boy? Is it the girl? Is it the incubation? Is it just them? Is it, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, and if I was home in April, 2023 and I like pulled the eggs from clutch the, immediately, the other black, the Eastern or Northern territory blackhead, Maybe those would have helped me get some data if I put those on a layer cake and they all hatched. 
or maybe it's just my Western female, nothing to do with East West. Maybe she's right. just an individual just with poor fecundity. Right. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of questions, and this is why I think other people kind of fall into that pitfall too. Of they tried it, they didn't get it, so now they're going to try to do as many different, like they're going to change up everything. Mm-hmm. To which I would say is a step in the wrong direction. Figure out your plan, try it, and then if you don't get eggs, try it again the year after. I think you should try to stick to a plan for at least three years. Yeah. And if something changes, if you want to tweak something, that's fine. But maybe tweak like the temperature a little bit, tweak, and then that's it. That's all you choose one thing to tweak for the year, and that's it. Yeah. One variable. If you try to change a ton of different variables, the issue is that if you even have success, what the hell, like what did it? What was the trigger? Try to recreate it. And it's hard. Yeah. So, right. Or, you know, if in my case, like say one of the Westerns lays a six egg clutch, maybe I put three in layer cake a la 2023 Wilma's and do it exactly the same. And then maybe I put three in layer cake with no water. Well, now the question I have there is if you start to notice a difference of these ones are doing so much (laughs) better than these, would you be like, experiment over and like grab Ah! these eggs? (laughs) I mean, yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would still consider that a, a, a learning thing though but then what yeah. if one egg dies in one and one egg dies in the other then oh, maybe, crap. maybe it never <laughs> mattered <laughs> they're all the same it doesn't care yeah. um i don't know it, it's hard to, to do this kind of stuff and it's hard to think about that stuff so again i would say take the information that we give you guys and then just figure out what's work what works learn for more you. stuff and then teach me yeah do that yeah <laughs> figure out what works for you figure out what works for your stuff and then stick with it you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Like, and if it is broken, small try one thing at a time. Yeah, small tweaks, <laughs> small things. Don't, don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, yeah, easier said I'm, than done, though. What I'm going to be excited for in the next couple of years is, um, it's been a while since I had a litter of boas. Mm. So in a couple of years, when I have to try the Argentines, I'll be back at Argentines. that whole thing again. Oh God, I was I fed them the other day. They're gorgeous. I really I like them. the ones with a lot of pink. I don't like that. I like the black. Mm. I like the contrast. Damn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> happened. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say, uh, obviously, we talked about breeding. We talked about eggs. I guess we'll hit babies real quick. Um, babies for babies. carpet pythons. You take them and you put them in a little thing where they'll live with a hide and a water bowl and some Good heat. Good Perhaps Good a baby rack. Yes. I would say baby racks are fantastic. Five, six quart, whatever the hell they sell the size are. Mm-hmm. Um, I like having, I have these plastic, um, rectangle things almost like they were 3d printed yep they're bins they're actually um pipette tip lids Uh for cases so i take those cut a little semicircle and that's their hide and then i've done the thing where you take the uh garden fencing kind of do it over the top i did it really with these guys um with the ruffies so you know ruffy bin 
I don't know if you can see that, but nice. that's a roughie. And they sold. Got his, got his little, you know, <laughs> uh, the fencing. You got a little fence that he sits on. I'll take and then three. This is his hide box. There those are cool boxes. I have seen those before, and like that it. is smart. And then they have a little water bowl, and that's it. So that's the setup I would do for the majority of snakes. I wouldn't even just say pythons. That's yeah. the majority of snakes because my mad hogs have the same kind of setup. Um, I would say with the false water cobra, they usually have a um, they have water. PVC, they have PVC pipes. Okay, cool. And they don't have bigger water because okay. they yeah. will. They'll sit in it and make a mess. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I don't like. I do give them. Uh, they're on them. The mad hogs are the colubrids. They're on substrate, so it's like mulch. <laughs> I will say that the false water cobra have a shit ton of moss in there. There's usually kept damp, but um, they'll still cram themselves in that water bowl. Like they don't give a shit. <laughs> like it's, yeah. So yeah, I'm doing everything. Like you said, in the baby rack, um, except for the baby garters, which I set up in little colonies and, you know, so 10 gallon aquariums. With. <laughs> my my smaller snakes is um, so Eric gave me these bins. I think Nick uses them for or used them for carpets. They're they're much th- like they're not as tall, but they're about the same kind of width and length. Um and those I have the rhinos in where it's got a water bowl and it's got mulch and moss and stuff like that. And it's just so that they, a lot of times with smaller snakes, they can pop out of the lip or something like that. So I tend to just do that. This thing locks all the way around. So that's what they're at. And then they're not even on heat. Like they're not in a rack with heat. They're just stacked <laughs> up on top of a rack. So nice, which is good enough for a rhino or um, my bamboos right now and stuff like that. Uh, eventually you progress. Um, I have after they're big enough for, or after they outgrow the, the baby racks, they move up to a 15 quart rack, which I absolutely love those bins because they're great for grow up juvie carpet. Um, especially with a 3d printed perch in there or some perches that I've snaked (laughs) through gives them a chance to climb, to grow and they can spend, so usually from till they're about a year old, they're in the five courts. And then after that, from when they're about a year old to almost like three, they can be nice. in that 15 rack. So like a year old, two years old is usually when I'll move them into a 32, which is why I like these racks that do the do the 15 and the 32. Mm-hmm. So like they're all in these right now. These are just because the roughies are up here, but they're all in six courts and then some sell and you kind of decrease and then you put them in the 15s, which you can have two 15s to one slot and they decrease. And then eventually those ones get big enough. You have to put a 32 in there. So it kind of gives you a little bit of versatility. And very rarely do I have a snake that is for sale that gets out of a 32 and has to get put into a 41 that, that very rarely ever happens. (laughs) Um, But it's something you need to be prepared for, you know, don't breed. If you can't house it, don't, be prepared for that kind of stuff. Like people seem to think that they're all excited for their project and that they're going to get the babies and the people are going to beat a path to their door to buy every <laughs> single baby you have. It's not true. Even if you have the rarest shit, you're holding on to something. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes wish I had more Wilma's. 
<laughs> that's just you. I mean, you're like, I, I want more Wilma's. Like, yes, yes, we know, we know. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, okay, so then the baby carpet pythons go in the box. Uh, they're going to shed. Uh, hopefully, if they don't shed, then you might need to feed them something to make them shed. But they usually yeah. shed. They just, you know, two how, weeks, three weeks. How long is it till after hatching do you normally feed? Because I know it's like I, two, two weeks, three weeks to shedding. Yeah. But I don't feed immediately after they shed. I okay. like to wait because I want them to be hungry and mice are expensive and I want to get <laughs> as many to eat the first time as I can. So how long do you wait? I, hmm. I usually offer a few days after the shed um, for everything except the blackheads, you know, for the brittles and the, <laughs> the carpets and the wool. Blackheads, you're like, come here, you. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, I have had clutches of carpets that, take frozen straight out of the egg first try right after the shed and then i have some jungles behind me that are still like only eating live and it's it, like a mess they've eaten like twice um some i mean it happens it is <laughs> like, it, does, it does it does it is it's a bear because um yeah out of all the animals like i you the know were the best <laughs> of course i mean frozen really mm, horrible little easy. creatures um <laughs> I would say that I would wait a week after they shed to offer the food. Um, okay. And like right. you said, it's you offer you offer the base model. Here is a fuzzy. Yeah. Like, and this is it. And then if you eat the fuzzy, congratulations, you are now on the right track. And then it's yeah. the slow progression. It's if they don't eat the fuzzy, <clears throat> will they take a live? They right. don't take a live. Will they take? A quail. fuzzy covered in chick down. If Ooh. they don't take that, will they take a quail? If they don't take that, will they take one with thawed out with fish or frog? Will they take a live fish? And then you have to get yep. down to the point of, do I have to force feed this animal? So out of all the babies I hatched this year, I had to force feed three. Of course, one was a caramel jag head exanic. One was my caramel exanic jag and one was a ruffy and yeah. it was one of those where the two jags that i had to force feed have now just started feeding on their own so the one started eating live and now is taking like five or six live and it's funny because they'll they'll be this like skinny little thing and then you'll start getting them actually eating on their own and it's just like they just grow like it like gangbusters they just start getting huge so he's eating fine on his own and the caramel exanic jag i finally got to take a quail on its own like two or three three feedings ago and it had like three or four quail and then this past feeding this weekend i got it to take a a fuzzy with a bunch of chick down all over it so it's like we're slowly getting into it but these things hatched back in june yeah <laughs> and it's december so yeah and this no, one it is, happens and this one's still being force fed this little baby and ruffy some of them will get with the program and grow and be some perfect, normal wonderful adults and some won't <laughs> exactly and some won't it's yeah. i uh the mad hogs i have 
Mad Dogs have these things, and this is true with the Blondes and the Giants, where they'll eat okay. Like I'll 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 frog scent stuff, and they'll be eating okay. Um, and then they'll just die. Like something will just happen, and they'll just keel over. So we've now gotten to the point where a lot of the Mad Hogs that are going to drop off have dropped off, and I have my core group that are really eating very well. The ones that started eating fuzzies right out of the bat are clearly bigger than the other ones, but I've gotten to the point now where everybody's at least taking rodents. Whether those rodents have to be kind of like thawed out with frog legs first is part of it. Other ones have to have be thawed out with chicks chicken but we're not i don't have to put feathers on anything anymore i don't have to leave lumps of frog meat around the hopper anymore so it's progress but it it, it takes a while Mm -hmm. and you need to understand that if that's a this is a species you're going to get into or if this is a breeding that you're going to going to shoot for like i said if everything works well you can have you can have the opportunity to figure out this bullshit so it's like <laughs> yeah especially true for things like blackheads and anteries exactly and, yeah you imagine if you are lucky enough to have like eight clutches of anteresia <laughs> no can't, no, can't no, imagine I that wanna, yeah no, i only I have 1.1 <laughs> well what happens if you get your clutch of anteresia what are you prepared to do with your anteresia Oh, you don't want to know. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go out and get me a frog. (laughs) I've done that. I know you have. I know you have. Bullfrog eradication. I would say that is something else you need to consider. I have a friend who shall remain nameless who got his rhino rat snakes and decided that it would be a good idea to get tadpoles out of the local... I think it was, I think he went to the pet store, but the pet store had gotten them out of the local creek. Wait, I think pet store broke a rule. <laughs> I think pet store broke rule. If not person broke rule. I don't know. Okay. Either way, tadpoles come from wild. We're fed to rhinos. Rhinos got nematodes. Bad to do. Right. So do not do. Don't do that. Consider it. I get my frog legs from the market. They're, they're human-grade, food-grade yeah. stuff. I would say that uh, having large amounts of colubrids has opened my eyes to what the hell a snake will eat, like, <laughs> as far as, like, fish and and yeah, yeah. chicken and, and frog and... The turkey neck from your Thanksgiving feast. I, it's downstairs in my freezer. Mine's inside of brettles. <laughs> yeah. I, I just haven't thought it out, but yeah. <laughs> Trout. Um, was it, uh, I got a bunch of trout and I just cut them up yeah. into pieces and Kribos went nuts. Blue beauties went nuts. False water cobra. False water cobra would go nuts if I made like metal shavings look appetizing. <laughs> like <laughs> false water cobra weird. False so water it's cobra a, like eat. Like it's, uh, That's the fun thing is like right now. Uh, I still have to thaw out like chickens and frog legs and stuff like that to feed some of the little guys. And normally I just chuck them to a collier, but they're all down for winter. So the only one who's still up and eating is my false water cobra. <laughs> so I'm no just, like, pour, so just pouring food into her and she's just eating. She obliges. Yeah. yeah. She only scares me a little bit. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. 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 But no. That's... And then you made a snake. Congratulations. Yes. And now you get to do that. But um, I would say it is tons of fun to breed uh, for the reasons that, you know, we, we all, I think got into it is we want to see if we can. And also we want to see what we can make. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to see what kind of project we can form. And I feel like there's several different layers yeah. to it. You know, I, I'm totally. excited to breed something that I've never bred before and see a baby animal that I've been trying to breed for forever. But I'm also excited to see the outcome of a project that's been in my brain for years that I've been building towards by producing this animal. And this animal is going to breed with this animal and that animal is going to breed with that animal. So absolutely, it is is fun. Yeah, it's very fun. I feel like right now is kind of the, no, a month ago is like the most boring time of year because nothing's really happening in snake breeding land. <laughs> Everything's and, uh, already happened. Yeah. But as soon as something happens, then like the next six months is fun as shit. So <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> you just got to get there. <laughs> you just got to get to that one thing. I, I And don't cut your eggs on day 47. Don't cut your eggs. Like I, I had my nephew who's 10 because we were going through uh, egg things. And I'm like, we got to wait. We'll see. Like, they'll hatch soon. He goes, we can cut them. I'm like, no, 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 no. Shop and half. I saw it on TikTok. Like, I'm like, exactly. I'm like, he's like, other people cut their eggs. I'm like, we ain't other people. Like, it's yeah. like, we don't cut eggs. That's like looking at your bow and being like, it's, she's a little late. <laughs> Slice her open. You know, it it was really nice being somewhere else in the country in the middle mm-hmm. of tour when the Womas were hatching. <laughs> I, I couldn't fuck anything I up. I <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can't I'm texting, get to them. Texting um, my my buddy Alex, like, can you go get them for me? He's like, I'm at work. Like, they'll do <laughs> no, their own thing. They're work. fine. I would say that that's one of those things where, um, <laughs> when I used to work outside of my house, mm-hmm. I would like notice I'd like come down for the AM and I'd see pips and I'd have to leave the little babies pipping out of the eggs. And you know I didn't want to. I wanted to see them all and do the whole Jurassic Park thing. Like it's oh yeah. And yeah. that was fun to have, do with the Ackies. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just, <laughs> but but you have to sit there all day and you're like, God, I wonder what's hatching. I want to see what goes out. And this is where I get yelled at for being a helicopter parent all the I time. I just put the ring camera pointed at the incubator. And that's that's what I, I think that's what I need. <laughs> what does Owen need for Christmas? He needs a camera that he can point at the end. <laughs> like, so, yeah. but I think, yeah. I think when the roughies were hatching this year, like I noticed it, I think it, it like, I, I want to say the eggs came during the weekend and thank God, because I was up against her glass, just being like, are you okay? It's like my wife made me take her to breakfast. And the entire time I'm sitting there, like spinning my phone and like thinking, I'm like, I wonder how many there are. We should get home. It's like, <laughs> so it, it's that whole thing where it's like, I think I took multiple trips downstairs to check on the babies. And I wanted to, to, to like, same thing with the white lips. Like, I, I want to see them. I want to touch it i wanted to you know this is what we were trying for so um 
I don't know. We'll yeah. see what that. Well, I'll see what that next one is because that I, I fear that I'm constantly chasing the high, or <laughs> it's like the white life eggs, absolutely the eggs. Like, yeah, I'm like, what's the next one? It's like, well, I guess it would probably be Timors. Timors. You still need to do water pythons. I don't give a shit about the water pythons. <laughs> oh, oh, things you give a shit about. Uh, yeah, those, oh. those those eggs hit the ground. It's going to be like fucking finally box these two up. They're for sale. Like it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you better hope they breed this year. I'm sending you that evil duns, email. Dunai. Dunai. Yeah. Rings. Macklots pythons. The You're just letting like, Ryan do your dirty work for rings. I am. I am letting <laughs> Ryan do my dirty work. Well, I'm, I'm letting Ryan do my dirty work so that I can get ring pythons because I have a, another female. <laughs> and I would like to not have to spend money on a male. Mm-hmm. If I can have that male created for me, then I can do that. But if if I'm going to keep a boy, I might as well keep a girl of the same size because ring pythons are ring pythons. But yeah. It's true. Why not have Ryan do my dirty work for me? It's no, funny. I if I if I could, I would. I keep trying to make <laughs> you do my dirty work for me, but you keep failing. Like it's what have I failed at? I sent you broken ass Wilmas and, and you they were... stayed broken. <laughs> I know you were supposed to fix it. So I'm not now magic. I'm gonna send you broken ass water pythons. <laughs> I mean eh, I don't want to make hybrid. I do. I don't care. Papuan. Don't care. Oh, okay. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's that whole thing is if I were going to do anything, I'd ditch them and restart the project with like Northern territories, like a pair of something like I would, I would do that. But the problem is is this is the third time I've restarted that project. (laughs) And she's just a bitch. Third. Yeah. I got, (laughs) Did you do got, New Guineas three times? Yeah, I got a pair of adults, and male died, and I think I sold the female. Got another pair of adults, and something happened that resulted in them both being sold. I think I just—it was one of those times where some of my stuff was here, some of my stuff was there, and it all fell apart. And they ended up getting sold. And then I got this female that I have currently as a baby. And she's been a hard bitch since then. I raised her up and I put a male that I had raised up with her. They locked multiple times. Nothing happened. I got another male sent the previous male to Eric Kohler. And I'm not sure if it worked out for him ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then that's where we're, that's where we've been at. I have this other boy, so I have this pair, this girl that I've raised up since the hatchling, and this male that I got. I think he's still probably about a year old when I got him, and he he's four now, four or five, and he's not the best feeder. He eats like small rats. He does really well. Then he goes off food and then he eats small rats. Does really well. Maybe a medium. It goes off food. And the problem is she's so big and such an evil bitch that he, (laughs) I think just hides this year is the first year where I found him curled up on top of the bin and like hanging out with her. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe he's finally big enough. She's finally not horrible. Like I'm thinking it's going to be Wilma rules. Like if she doesn't come from my face, she's grabbing. (laughs) 
Like right. it's yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm crossing my fingers. That'd be cool. I like I'd those. like to get the water pythons because then it would kind of I I'd, I'd be good with that, but they're not a, something I want to build a project on because to be honest, I, I like Savus better. Mm. So if I'm gonna have space taken up by Lyasis, do I really need to sit there and have like water python, Savu python, Duns python, olive pythons all on the table at once, or do I just call Mac it Mats. get a, Mac <laughs> oh yeah, those? <laughs> I should know that. I have like six. Yeah, like, I sent you two. <laughs> I sent you two. <laughs> those two are they're, they're actually they're yeah, and they're starting to calm down too, which is nice. great because they're starting yeah. to get big. But they're both really nice. It's the two that my curtain bred for me are hard, evil bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Demons spawn. Like it is Demon. just there. Why are you so angry? So no, the max I got from you are um they're probably gonna move up into uh some new cages soon because they're just eating Sweet. everything in sight. So I thought about keeping those and then Alex. They're gorgeous. Like, they're gorgeous. I can't. You want more blackheads. I was like, you son of a bitch. You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Very good. Anyway. Damn near two hours of directionless. Think, uh, yeah. With, you with, and uh, me. Yeah. Without no captain to steer this boat. I took command and we didn't crash. Did you see yeah. my little name? I did see that. I was going to leave it be. I've changed it a few times. I did notice that. I did notice it changed a couple times. So that did happen. All right. All right. right. Um, So what we'll say is I think is tomorrow is the uh, holiday show, barring whatever else is going on with Mr. Burke. Yeah. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But we'll have that going, and then we're going to take the uh, winter break, and we'll be back for the next season. Uh, you can go to Cold Blooded Cafe for your rodents. Put in NPR ten to receive ten percent off of your first order. Uh, that can be used for uh, along with any other deals that they have going on currently. So, check them out. Next would be Cold Blooded Caffeine, where you can get all your different coffee blends, including the uh, NPR Carpets and Coffee. So you can go get that. Uh, after that. We have the uh, spring store. We have the NPR uh, merch. If you guys uh, want to see something added to the merch store, if you have some ideas of what you'd like to see for us to do, uh, let us know. Uh, send us an email over to info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com because we're trying to figure out what to revamp and what to add and what the, you guys might want to see there. So definitely let us know. Uh, we're also going to try to revamp and add up to the, um, Patreon. So definitely keep an eye on that for the 2024 season. We're going to try to, uh, add up a little bit of stuff for that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So did I miss anything? Oh yeah. Check all the other shows on the network. Oh yeah. Um, all those other people and no one cares. So, uh, Oh, Anyway, that's all we have for you guys tonight. So we'll say thanks all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next time for uh, actually some NPR. This is Carpets and Coffee. I don't know why I'm closing it out that way. Anyway, Lucas, get the button, end the show. Come on. Stop using the...